Welcome to the Thrive at 20 podcast, where we're celebrating 20 years of Thrive Partnership Group by sitting down with leaders who have helped shape the legacy of the organization. Here's founder Rob Sagan in conversation with one of those leaders today. All right, well, this is the next installment in our series of Thrive at 20 podcast interviews. We're really excited to be pleased to be joined by Ross Glover, the general manager of Taiho Pharma Canada, Inc. And Ross, I know that you and your team are excited about taking on responsibilities outside of Canada in addition to building a great subsidiary here. We're going to talk about that kind of right away. It's one of the very unique aspects of your leadership challenge right now. I understand that you're being asked to lean in, as are some of your leadership members in Canada. So looking at helping Taiho get its footprint started in countries like Brazil and Mexico, do you want to tell us a little bit about that off the top? Yes, uh, you know the the global team in Japan was interested to see how we can uh, grow the footprint of the company and to continue to grow Taiho into new countries, and uh, also in discussion with our U.S. CEO Tim Witten, he suggested that uh, you know it would be a good opportunity for me um, and uh, together with our chairman uh, Masa Kobayashi, there'd be a good opportunity for me to uh, to help the company expand into Mexico. Is how it started. A lot of similarities between Canada and Mexico in terms of a public and private system, um, a pri- um, some you know uh, some pricing pressure to make sure that you have access to all patients. Very similar to what we face here in Canada. And also, you know, a great need on behalf of patients for our brands in that country. Uh, so um, we we have been looking into that. We started before COVID and uh, we started even working on the regulatory file right before COVID. And now we're resuming that work and um, um looking at you know the challenges of uh, of developing our brands in that country and also the the uh the the great um you know uh, project of developing the local team and looking at what are their needs what would how would we create our culture in mexico uh so that it resonates with mexican employees and how can we build a strong and thriving team there so um that's what we've been focusing on and uh it's been great work it's been a lot of fun yeah yeah and i know you love change and challenge you're kind of a change addict if i have to use that expression but you know it's great like you it's this industry that did that to me they kept changing every three years all the time so yeah (laughs) yeah i didn't like it you're in the wrong place but i think some of that but i think some of that as much as we can laugh about you know it's self-inflicted you're not someone who likes to be going through the sort of uh, monotony of the same thing over and over again. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about your journey, but if there's one thing that runs through your journey, both personally and professionally is uh, I think it's me living on the edge might be one way to describe it, but having that sort of uh, adrenaline rush of a new challenge, a new, you know, a new thing to sink your teeth into, and you're not afraid to make mistakes and you recruit people. Oh no, I've made many, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you're, but that fearlessness, the courage I think is, kind of what defines your leadership brand, if I had to encapsulate it in a couple of words. Um, well, that sounds uh, thrilling. It sounds more thrilling than it is, I think, you know, yeah, but, but, uh, <laughs> no, but I think that, yeah, that's uh, absolutely right. You know, and Mexico does present that for us because, uh, you know, even talking to people about going to Mexico City, their first reaction is really you go to Mexico City. Is that OK? And yes, it's 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 a great place to visit. Everyone should visit there. It's a beautiful uh, country and a great city. 
Um, but yeah, there's they have great challenges in that country right now. They have great healthcare challenges, education challenges, and now they're on the cusp of an election, which means everything will change again. Um, unlike our government, when there's an election, all of the people in the healthcare sector in uh, in the government. So imagine Health Canada changing their employees every every four years, every time wow. there's an election. So the, those uh, those positions in COFAPRI, which is their healthcare authority, um, they change with the election. So we're hoping that we won't face too much change uh, after June of next year and that we can continue with some of the uh, strategies that we have set forward with the government. But we're ready uh, because it could all be different. Yeah, I had the pleasure of visiting there for my, my niece's wedding over the last couple of years. And uh, we spent a little bit of time in Mexico City and uh, really enjoyed Puebla, which is another fairly good sized city just outside yeah. Mexico City. And yeah, I, I had a new appreciation for the vitality of the culture, the energy, the warmth. But the differences, too, from region to region is quite apparent. My uh, my sister, whose daughter is down there, has visited a lot and they've brought back a lot of great stories and education for our family about the culture and how things are changing and evolving, but I think you've nailed it on the head. It's a great time for someone like yourself who's had to build a subsidiary from the ground up what, over the past 14 years or so. And I think it's quite innovative for Taiho to ask someone who's built a subsidiary to then go and be the lead person, sort of the quarterback of a global effort to then replicate those kinds of successes in new markets, because that's not the normal pattern. Like You and I have been around long enough to know that Normally, it's just either global strategy and ops people and regulatory people, and there's a handoff to a local team that's gradually hired and onboarded. But this interim transition idea of taking someone like yourself and having a couple of colleagues from the global marketing team and a couple of the American guys, that's a really smart and innovative approach because you've had all this learning. Why not take advantage of it? And your success in Canada, Ross, we'll talk a little bit about that. And I know you're very proud of what you've accomplished here with Taiho, but why not take advantage of everything that you seem to have been able to do and those other people who have those skills and just let you guys sink your teeth into it. And I know you love that challenge. You're, you're a very hardened and seasoned traveler and you love new culture and new situations. It seems like this has really energized you. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it gives you, um, it gives you different perspectives. It's allowed me to understand how we can bring things from uh, those other um, countries that might work here in Canada. It's allowed me to see governments, not from, from just one perspective, like, you know, from our own government, but to compare and contrast um, what's happening in different countries. And, um, you know, that can help you really fine tune your strategies. And it, it, it's also invigorated my team with some ideas. And, and uh, you know, so it's a great learning experience. And we it just shows how uh, we all benefit from those. Any kind of learning experience can help you uh, be better at what you're doing now. You know, so uh, we, we are benefiting, benefiting from it. And um uh, I'm excited about, you know, uh, bringing that to uh, to fruition and having affiliates in those countries uh, that not only for the aspect of bringing drugs to patients who need them, but also, um, you know, developing teams and seeing how that will play off each other, how a Canadian team and a Brazilian team and a Mexican team can maybe work together and find synergies that would help them in the future. So that's well, something. And, and, and like you say, not only. 
not only bring your experience for the last 14 years to those countries, but I know your team is keen to see what can be learned from watching the other countries get started, um, start to bring Tiles technology to market. You've got a very open-minded group. A lot of them have global experiences and perspectives and come from different cultures. It's a very diverse group. I know they're excited about it too. I know that's part of the mandate you want for them. It's not just you leaning in, but you've got some folks on your Canadian team that are helping you out. How do you yep. guys manage what I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking about as they listen to the story that what, what would I do if that was me? If suddenly dropped a pretty heavy responsibility on top of my pretty darn busy day job trying to manage my affairs. Because <laughs> you take on those leadership roles and responsibilities in a Canadian life science company and those are heavy jobs. And then, okay, well, we want you to spend another 20% of your time helping out at the affiliate level, which almost always involves quite a bit of challenge, travel, adjustment, language barriers. It's a lot of fun stuff, but it's also not easy work. Can't coast through that. Yeah. You so know, how, do you, but, how, do you, how do you guys manage the workload? I suppose. Well, we, you know, we, we're very pragmatic about it. We, we lay out our goals and we put um, priorities against each goal. And we do that for, both countries and then we put uh, you know a percentage of time against that as well and that's something we've learned uh, you know that uh, we have to be honest about it and and you can't put 50% of your time to four different things so now you're down to 25% if you want to do all four of those how are you going to do that is it going to be 25% across the board or 10 10 and 40 40 so you know we we develop that and then try to stick to those those uh needs but you know we can predict how much time we're going to need to achieve the things we need to do and and uh, then and then um you know the balancing act starts so yeah, that's that balancing the, act i'm sure as i've watched you guys is also perhaps pushed you faster than you originally wanted to go to develop the folks underneath. Like you've got a great management team here in Canada. They have grown with you, I would say is the best way to describe it. Like there's been a lot of mm -hmm. positive change, but that's put positive pressure on the rest of the organization. Cause as you and your leadership team members flex muscle into the yeah. Mexican market and whatnot, other people have to step up. So have people embraced that? Has that been a challenge for you guys? Yeah, you know, we have a lot of of time to to together where we we have weekly meetings as a team together to focus on Canada, and then we you know we um, people have embraced it because the people I hired were ready for this. The people I hired brought a lot of of depth um, of uh, skill to their jobs, and um, they're able to manage it. I mean, the first question was do you want to be involved with this it's not mandatory you know yeah. if you'd rather focus on the canadian business and that's you what um you you need to do that's that's absolutely uh fine that's what i hired you to do um but um you know i my team was ready for it so yeah. those things it kind of happened uh naturally that they felt that they they it was it wasn't a forced discussion in any way it was more like i think i can do that and my next reaction was, okay, well, let's find a way to help ourselves do that. Let's make sure we do it uh, in a smart way, in an organized way. And uh, and then we won't catch ourselves on the back end saying, we forgot this, we missed this, this deadline hasn't been addressed. You know, we, we made sure those things wouldn't happen before we started. And uh, it's been a couple of years now. And so far, we haven't had any issues with that. Um, we're growing the Canadian business and um, we're moving forward with the uh, with the Mexican business right now. And we're about to start looking at Brazil uh, in the near future. 
That's great. Well, what can you share with our listeners about the most important things you've learned uh, at the helm of a Canadian subsidiary now seven years in oncology, which is, you know, very much a high profile uh, category in life sciences. I remember how excited you were when you found out that you were going to get the opportunity. I think we were sitting on Boston pizza somewhere in Oakville. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. I, I, think, I, think, I think you were able to confirm, confirm it that day. And I remember, man, you're usually a high energy guy, but like you're like practically vibrating and just really excited <laughs> to share with me the news and your ideas. And I remember taking some notes, try to keep up with you. But now when you look <laughs> back over the seven years, Ross, what's, What's been the most important thing you've learned from the journey to this point that might benefit the people that listen to our podcast as a GM? The most important things um, definitely is to focus on uh, who you are as a company, who you want to be as a company. You know, I'm looking at it from perspective of uh, I was number one employee in and then I hired uh, Peter, who's my finance uh, uh, expert, my finance lead. And so it was two of us. And then we quickly put together um, um, an executive team. And that's where the work started was, okay, who are we? Uh, We've all come from different companies. We've all come with lots of experience. We all know how what we think a good company is what we think a, a good Canadian pharmaceutical company is and can be. So let's talk about that let's be that uh, what do you, what do we want to be who do we want to be as a company and um you know we started to put that down and we created our culture from that step and uh and we've lived and breathed it ever since we've adapted it because we've learned and we've we've ex- expanded uh you know what we think is important to to focus on in the business and that's you know supporting people uh, relying on each other being passionate about we do about what we do uh being resilient to the market which is very important in Canada because you are going to face a lot of disappointment when you're starting a new company you are going to face a lot of of uh, rejection i would say when you get to the government unless you have a a perfect seamless package which is usually not the case with startups uh, you know, so you are gonna you are gonna have uh, some some right turns um, and have to be ready for that. So um, we were we we laid out how we would work together, what we would do in those situations, and um, and then you know we as the company has grown, we brought that to to the entire team. And we check ourselves on it a couple of times a year to make sure that we're doing the right things for our people. And then, you know, all of the other pieces that the, 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 the actual daily work of our, of our industry, of our jobs, it all, it comes together when, when you can all, um, you know, work as one team towards your goals, those things do come together. And um, so, you know, the things I've learned is to be patient is to uh, listen more than you talk. These aren't new things. We've all heard these things many times, but to, you know, to do them in a leadership position takes uh, some personal focus. So over the years, I've learned to, you know, uh, to reset myself to, to be able to um, be in a position where I can accept different opinions, different attitudes, different uh, directions, uh, different strategies, 
um, and manage that while we keep our core business intact, while we keep our core plans intact. And as long as I can do that for my people, they're happy. They know that we're listening. They know that um, that you know that uh, they can bring new ideas. And they know that their voice matters. And so if you have a company that feels that way, I think um, it's easier to be successful. Yeah. And I think that when I reflect on your journey from the outside looking in, Ross, I think one of the things that you benefited from, uh, well, a few things, you had great mentors to show the way right from the beginning to when you took over at Tile and still to this day. And, I, and you did a nice job of listening to them, considering advice, not only just your own in, internal leadership team, but you you do a really good job of making sure that you're getting the guidance from people who've got the scar tissue that have been there and done that. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's a marker. The other thing too is a lot of folks can't, can't let go of their subject matter area. So you see, like I've mm-hmm. got lots of folks that are running subsidiaries in Canada that are clients or have big jobs in the U S or globally. And the ones that transition successfully into the broader strategic leadership roles have to go through that transition. And it's often a bit painful to be, you know, the go-to person for a certain field of expertise that like could be medical affairs, could be finance, could be sales, it could be marketing, but suddenly they, they are given the keys to be like a GM or even at the business unit level, especially if they have a full PNL and it's, it's, it's pretty common that people, people want to stay in their comfort zone, you know, be the go-to person for um, say strategy or whatever it might be. And I, I remember you were working at uh, uh, one of the pharma companies and there was a relatively new GM that had just taken the role had come mm-hmm. out from global. And I remember yeah. visiting with her in her office one day, and I waited. There's a couple of people lined up outside her office. I stood in the line because I had an appointment with her. And she patiently addressed each person's questions. And I couldn't help because the door was open, understanding that the theme was strategy. So when I closed the door, I said, you know, so how's the first few months been in the role? And she goes, you know, I love it. I love the strategic conversations and a chance to sort of give people a little bit of feedback and guidance. And I said, uh, hmm, that's interesting because that the title on your business card says general manager, not chief strategy officer. And, <laughs> yeah. and I got that sort of look with the raised eyebrow. And uh, I said, look, I'm only, I get to go to a lot of different places, but to be in a line with people who are coming to you for that, for your strategic brilliance, which everybody recognizes, like right. strategic brilliance was off the charts. In fact, they'd given her the global job within your company yeah. as a Canadian to be the head of strategy. But it was interesting because I think I caught her at that moment where she sort of felt like someone coming from the outside in off the street reflects on standing in a line of people who have strategy questions while she's a little delayed getting to the rest of her agenda. It sort of, we had a little fun with it. I made a little joke out of it, but she sat me down. She goes, well, that's an interesting perspective. We should probably unpack that. And I go, yeah, I said, you know, you're excited about this role. People are excited about having you back in Canada, but. Do you want to be sitting here all day ask, answering strategy questions? I know that's your gift, but you didn't yeah. take the job to do that, did you? And her, yeah. her answer was quite honest. She said, no, I don't want to be doing this. I mean, I'm good at it, but I said, well, what, what's yeah, the I mean, it's, idea? It's, 
it's irresistible to do that, to do what you're good at, right? So you want to you want to continue with that. But, um, you know, I come from the commercial side of business. That's been my uh, platform all the way up to becoming a GM. And uh, there was no commercial business at Taiho for the first year and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you couldn't know, you play with those cards. You know? I didn't have a chance. You know, I, I yeah. could talk about strat, but we had other things to do. You know, you have to start with regulatory is where you start. So, yeah, you know, and then you uh, regulatory and medical and yeah. yeah, and finance, you know, building your P&L. Uh, so uh, I was learning a lot of new skills right off the bat. So by the time we got to where I, I was, uh, you know, maybe someone who had more input uh i was already busy with other things and didn't really have a lot of time to do that input but you know luckily i've hired great people and i trusted them and uh so um you know we we did do it all together at the beginning because we're a small team and we had one product and so you know we we had time to do that but those days are behind us now and um you know i've definitely handed off the keys to the commercial business and rely on my commercial team and rely on their strategic strength and sure i can give them feedback but i only give it to them when they ask me for it because yeah. uh you know um i give them a lot of uh, time a lot of rope to to uh develop what they want to do and uh you know they've come up with ideas that i wouldn't have so it's a win win you know you know and and beyond what you mentioned already which is you've You've, you've watched yourself become a better listener be more pa- <laughs> and be more patient. And I would concur with that. I've known you a long time. Uh, how else do you believe you've changed as a leader, maybe even as a human being over the last seven years? Because you've, you've really put yourself out there. Like you're not afraid. Yeah. You've never been someone who's been afraid of change and challenge. But I think what that gives you is you also have to have the courage to look back and go, wow, the, Ross that was the GM in the first few weeks is not the Ross that is sitting here with me today. No, so no, I definitely, despite, you know, outside of things you've already mentioned, when you look back and if you could talk to yourself seven years ago, what would you say was going to be the, the biggest adjustments uh, that you would have had to have made? Seven years ago, the first thing I would have said to myself is you should grow a beard now instead of waiting until you grow a beard and it's gray. So you, you should have grow, should have grown, grown a beard seven years ago. But uh, that's one change is I grew a beard. So that okay. makes other people think that I'm more wise than I am. So that's already an advantage. Yeah. I also now sometimes have to wear glasses, which makes me look smarter. So that's also an advantage. So these are all fake disguises, though, Rob. You know? <laughs> but uh, um, but really, um, you know, what I've done is uh, I've um, just... I'm not so quick to think that I have an answer to something. I I I still might feel that internally. Uh, I still might feel that kind of uh, uh, you know laser reaction that oh I think I know what this is about. But I I've learned to sit on that and just wait and listen and listen to my people, let them talk, and um, you know uh, and they'll tell you yeah he's not perfect at that by the way but he, <laughs> we we do notice a change but my people would be the first to say no man you jumped on me one time when i said this and oh yeah that's true it, it can happen occasionally yeah. but um um you know I, i've learned to really just have a, a wider scope on things and to understand how different parts of the business can affect each other in one country. And then when you go to multiple countries, how we can all affect each other and how something that might be great for Canada 
uh, is not the best thing for countries uh, like around us or for our global company, our global um, leaders. So, you know, uh, it's a, just a much broader scope, which really uh, gives you a much bigger picture internally. And, and that um, gives me a little bit more patience to understand how things will evolve and understand what people are trying to tell me before I tell them the answer that I think I have in my head. And then, uh, you know, by by slowing that down uh, over time, um, I don't jump to conclusions so quickly anymore at all. I'm more interested in where this could go and what we could, you know, what we can develop here with this line of thought. So, um, I think the people that work with me uh, feel that, and I think that um, it's allowed them to be more dynamic, more creative, um, the, to remove fear. You know, we don't have a lot of fear in our company because you're not you're not going to be uh, hung up on the wall for a mistake. We're going to say, "Oh, that was a mistake," uh, and you know, I don't I don't find uh, scapegoats. I don't point fingers when we make mistakes. I say. It's a mistake. The first thing is that mistake is now behind us. So what are we going to do about it? There's not that's happened. And instead of dwelling on it happening, the first thing we need to do is say, okay, what can we do? Uh, has this made things worse? Has it made things better? Uh, you know, because some mistakes are accidentally good. So, but <laughs> you know, what can we do from here um, so that we we all uh, get back on track and we can all get back to winning again. And when I'll, I'll get back to, to, um, you know, uh, by winning, I mean, achieving what we're setting out to achieve. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me at all because I, I know a lot of people have asked me because I get to go to so many different companies every year, most of them life science, but not all. And, you know, folks will say, so what have you learned from visiting that many companies for the last 20 years that you've had the business? And one of the things I can't help but observe consistently is that, the culture of a company eventually has a lot to do with the comp with the culture and the values of the person in the corner office and what mm -hmm. he or she does to, especially when you get to start something from scratch, you're not inheriting a culture. So in your case, you had a blank piece of paper. You had, you were employee number one. And now mm -hmm. I look at the environment you've created and I know you really did a good job of pulling a lot of people into the conversations, but that's also one of the defining aspects or characteristics of Tayo Canada, I would say, is it's a very collaborative environment, but I love how often I, I, I get to participate in conversations with you guys or get pulled into things where there's just a really good debate and a good conf conflicting view of an issue that's happening. And you get you get some raucous conversation going. It's you know the waters yeah. aren't always calm. There's a there's a sort no, of a willingness to take boring. on. Yeah, it's not boring. <laughs> it's got you know. It, I'm a sailor. I don't want calm water. I want wind. That's probably so, a, a great explanation for it. But I see yeah, that. Yeah. So so you know uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully when you're sitting there, you get a good scope of both opinions or all three opinions, however many there are, um, because you know. We don't cut things off. We we and then we also we work towards solution as well. So yes, we'll get all the opinions out, but we don't then just leave the room. Then we say, okay, so which way are we going, and what 
what do we say about this? How do we help this person who brought this to us, which is sometimes the case, you know, we have to help this person move forward. So what are we going to say about it? And so, um, you know, um, we've, we've focused on that from business issues, from internal issues, from social issues, uh, you know, that were very prevalent uh, and are, remain prevalent. Uh, we've focused on all of that. And, uh, and I think our people feel that they know that, that, um, it's a place where you can speak up. One of our tenets of our culture is courage. And by courage, we mean have the courage to say something when it's not going right. Don't just sit there and go, yes, yes, I agree. And then leave the room saying, man, I think that's a terrible idea. I don't like this company. Or, that number is way too high. No way we're going to hit that number. Um, so, you know, uh, talk about it. Say it in the room. Have the courage to say what needs to be said is how we say it. And then, uh, you know, we will acknowledge that and talk about it. So when you look back, maybe right to the beginning, Ross, in terms of your upbringing, the people you were surrounded by. I know you were born with a certain joie de vivre, a certain <laughs> cut, cut of your jib. But where Je viens de Montréal, moi. On yeah, a yeah, joie yeah. de vivre. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't think I've met too many people that could match that joie de vivre, especially the courage aspect in my travels. Like you just love good challenges and you've just been that way. That uh, you know, Even now you've been traveling like a crazy man the last nine weeks, but at, you know, you you seem to lean into it and enjoy it as a challenge. Where did that courage streak come from? Oh, I think uh, you know, early on, uh, I think you know, it, it rubbed off on me a little bit from my brothers, uh, from my mother. You know, my mother was like that. Uh, my mother uh, talked about courage. Uh, you know, my father died when I was six years old. Five kids. I'm the youngest at six. My brother is the oldest at 19. Four of us are boys, you know, so uh, that takes courage right there, you know. So uh, and then, you know, going through that experience as a family with my mother always saying there's no such word as can't or, you know, if you're if you're offered something that's interesting, don't let it go by. Don't live your life that way. Do things that interest you. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I love, I love, I, for whatever reason, ever since I was young, I have a natural affinity to speed. I like to go fast <laughs> on my skis. I like to go fast on my bike. I like to go then fast on my moped and then fast on my motorcycle, fast in my car. I just like speed. Uh, so, you know, as I went through these things and I had an older brother who was racing motorcycles. So I was in the pit crew uh, a little bit doing that. And, you know, so just have a lot of fun uh, and and realize that those things also, um, you know, they they bring more than just adrenaline to you. They bring, they bring um, um, just different perspectives and different, you know, you start to meet different people doing these different kind of things. And I got into the ocean, got into sailing, uh, worked as a commercial fisherman when I was in university, you know, so did a lot of those kind of things that just kind of stretch your, your milieu, you know, and the uh, coming coming from, uh, you know, working with a bunch of commercial fishermen out on the ocean and then stepping right back into university in September is like you couldn't be in two uh, <laughs> further spheres of the world, you know, like uh, um, 
with academics telling you, you know, work with your brain. And meanwhile, I'm looking at my hands that are just torn to shreds after working on a boat all summer, you know? So, so, you know, just uh, those different perspectives uh, brought me a lot of feedback that I just got, uh, I guess I got something that drives me. So it's something I never wanted to leave behind. So I still include those things uh, in my life. You know, my last, uh, big ocean sail was in 2019 and um i did an overnight ocean race this year so you know i still uh, like to get out there and uh, push the envelope a little bit and and talk about push the envelope i i seem to recall hearing a lot of the story from other folks you've given me some tidbits but i'm keen and i think our <laughs> listeners would enjoy there's a 2019 story about getting a boat back from what was it the caribbean oh uh, yeah St. Martin, man. St. Martin. Yeah, that was, yeah you got to share so, that story. It all, you got to know my friend, Sean, who is a quality control VP for Boeing in Seattle. And he's, he's a little off the wall, Sean. You think I'm crazy. This guy is born crazy. But uh, he, uh, he bought, he's been looking for this one type of boat. It's called a Hallis 51. Uh, it's manufactured by a company called Hallis, a 51 footer. They only made 12 51 footers before they moved to the 55 footer. So 12 in the world. And this is a hard to find boat. And uh, Sean found himself one in St. Martin and it was a, it was a deal. So uh, like, really you got a Hallis 51 for that much. How come? He goes, well, you know, it's been on stilts for about seven years through a couple of hurricanes. Uh, but I think the hull's in pretty good seaworthy shape. You know, let's let's check it out. And, you know, uh, so I went down there with them and it took us four or five days to get the boat in sea shape. And um, we thought, yeah, you know, we've done a lot of repairs here. I think uh, internally, I think that the hull was absolutely sound. So. Okay, his plan was he lives in Seattle. So the plan was to sail the boat to Palm Beach, Florida, and um, and then get it on a, um, a specialized truck that'll take it across the country to Seattle. That's not cheap, but it's a lot cheaper than spending uh, months going through the Panama Canal and up the West Coast and spending all that time. So, okay, that's our plan. And, um, you know, we ended up right up against the clock with the time it took us to prepare the boat, we are not going to be able to stop between St. Martin and Florida. So this is going to be hopefully, uh, you know, uh, eight days straight across. That's what we got to do. No problem. You know, there was four of us, two guys from Canada and Sean, who's, uh, he was born in California, but we met working together in Montreal and another guy from Washington state. So, okay, let's go. We get the boat ready, sea ready. First night, we get out there, sun's going down, it's beautiful, wind's picking up. By two o'clock in the morning, we're in about 20, 20 foot seas with a good 27 knot wind behind us. Not good. Every repair that we had uh, put together one by one was just ping. Oh, that doesn't, oh, lost the compass. Okay. Fresh water system broke. All right. That's all right. Let's keep going, you know. And we just kept moving. And, uh, um, uh, by by about halfway through the sail, we were navigating by the stars. We had, uh, you know, our we were able to uh, start the engine to charge and get a little bit of power from time to time. But for most of the time, you know, we were just sailing straight across. Uh, we didn't, you know, we were rushing in Saint Martin. We didn't provision exactly properly, so we were starting to run out of food and. 
know, so, uh, and, but the major thing was this, that wind, that storm blowing us across. We were in rough weather, just boat was moving, uh, you know, on three different axes, X, Y, and Z all, all the way through. Uh, some days you couldn't even, you know, get down below to cook or anything. It was just too rough, you know. So it was a real, uh, a, a crazy sail uh, with just our foresail up. If you're a sailor, we were doing between 12 and 14 knots with just the foresail. So the Hallis was fast as advertised. Uh, it was a great haul, just kept punching through those waves, just punching right through. Um, but, you know, um, we we were just uh, almost all of our systems had failed by this point. And we weren't even thinking about whether or not the pumps work if we start to take on water. So we were just, you know, um, it was a hair raising sail. By the time we were entering into Florida waters on the eighth day, we did make it there. Um, you know, the Coast Guard came aboard because they inspect everyone coming into Florida and they 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 didn't even ask us to slow down. They boarded us while we were sailing and came right up alongside us and came in the boat and just like, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> you came across that weather. Uh, and then they started asking us questions. Why did you go inside the 12 mile limit uh, in Cuba? Oh, you know about that. Oh, well, yeah, we, uh, you know, we almost hit a tanker one night. So we had to, uh, we we were going across uh, shipping lines and uh, one of those uh, tankers turned right in front of us. We, he wasn't, we weren't expecting him to make a turn. Uh, so, you know, we had to dodge and go in at like 1.45 in the morning and, Good seas. Uh, I still remember looking at the rivets on the side of that tanker. We were pretty close, <laughs> but we, you know, it was just a it was a um, character building sale. Let's say we were we were so grateful to get to Palm Beach, Florida, and we docked right across from Mar-a-Lago, actually, which is was kind of uh, uh, ironic, you know, that we. We docked right across from Mar-a-Lago and then didn't have much time right after that. We brought the boat out of the water, took the mast out of the boat, took the rigging right down to the deck, took everything down, took the wheel off, everything, and got her ready to uh, to be shipped across. So spent two days just getting filthy in a shipyard and still remember the face on the Uber guys who would come and pick us up at the end of that day. Like, uh, are you kidding me? Let me put a sheet on the back seat first. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, we just got to get back for a shower, you know? So, uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great, uh, experience. I do it again. I definitely do it again, but I think I'd bring a more, a uh, couple more handheld gadgets with me next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that further underlines the only conclusion one can draw is that you do like the adrenaline of being on the edge and pushing yourself and the people around you. you no, know, that's it. It wasn't supposed to be like that. That was a vacation. <laughs> I thought, you know, this is going to be great. We'll have a nice, nice relaxing sail across the Caribbean. But no, we're running out of time. There's a storm. We have to go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if we go back to the way you're, the environment that your mom created, especially after the passing of your dad and, the encouragement you got. So you're at Concordia, right? You went to Concordia in Montreal. Yeah. Yes. How did you find the life science industry or how did it find you? Because I'm sure coming off campus at that time in the late 80s, you probably had a, a few a few choices. The economy was starting to really roll. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it found me. Uh, you know, I graduated from school and like everyone, I was in debt. 
And, uh, you know, it wasn't, and, but, you know, little did I know what debt was. I was in debt as a Quebec student, which is not a very deep hole, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. But it felt deep enough to me at the time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I went out and did a stint of commercial fishing. I go, I'll go on the ocean for four months. I'll make enough money to pay off these, you know, these debts and then I can move forward. And while I was out there, um, I got a call. Um, somebody had gone and talked to our professors at Concordia. His name was Dave Brown, and he worked for a company called Console Pro. So, Dave, if you're still out there, I once again, I thank you. But I got a call on a Ship to Shore Radio. He had phoned my mother's house, and uh, and um, so she had given him the ship to sh- the the contacts and. I get a call and there's a, you know, I'm working on a deck and there's a phone for you. I'm like, phone for me here? Like, what's going on? I'm like, oh no, what happened? Uh oh. I get the phone and, uh, you know, I was on my brother's boat and uh, I get the phone call and, uh, and they're saying, yeah, you know, we'd like you to come and interview um, for pharmaceuticals, uh, for a pharmaceutical job. I'm like, okay, sure. What's that? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and uh, and I said, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm off the west coast on the ocean. I, I won't be in Montreal tomorrow. So I get, you know, I I uh, finally got back to Montreal probably two weeks after that because uh, it was uh, it was around late August when he phoned me. So I got back about, uh, uh, no, sorry, this was in November because it was king crab fishing. So I got back uh, in, you know, just around the end of November and uh, I'm on the metro in Montreal, the subway. And, you know, my hair is white. My skin is brown. Like I've been on the ocean for the last little while. And, uh, you know, my hair is long. And and uh, I walked into his office. He's like, oh, OK, we're going to have to make a few changes here. You know, get a suit, get a haircut. And this is what pharmaceuticals is about. And they, they were interested because I had done some work um, in pain management. And this was the job for Purdue Frederick uh, selling MS Contin before the days of OxyContin. Um, so I did work with Purdue before, um, you know, they had all their troubles. Um, yeah. But then I had moved on into oncology. Uh, but uh, yeah, they um, it was to work in Montreal uh, um, selling um, MS content to oncologists and even to GPs. My first territory was also selling uh, to GPs who were managing cancer pain and managing cancer patients. And this was the start of this new concept in treatment called palliative care. Uh, this is a whole new concept that you can take patients, you can treat them for their advanced pain that they're having and make them comfortable, um, which hadn't occurred before then. People with cancer were dying in pain for many years, you know? So this was a new concept. And and I don't belittle that. I know people today still uh, die in pain despite some of the great care we can offer. Um, But, um, you know, this was a way to help uh, to ease those final days for patients. And it was a whole new concept in care. And so right away, I'm like, wow, this industry is amazing. You know, like this yeah, look is at the value it brings, you know, and, you so know, the, the, the early so you know. lessons in pharmaceuticals where we make a difference. So let's, yeah, and, you know, and I still we, believe that to this day. We sometimes wonder, especially in our early part of our career, is what I'm doing making an impact? And it's yeah. It's awesome that you had that experience right out of the gates. And just so you know, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but given that you were probably starting in what eighty eight, eighty nine, that realm. Eighty nine, yeah. February eighty nine. Yeah. So my dad got pancreatic cancer in ninety one. He was diagnosed. He died in ninety three. And I remember 
that the oncologist who was responsible for his care was quite a progressive uh, approach guy. And he was really much an advocate for uh, patient comfort and care. And, you know, pancreatic is an awful, painful uh, disease. And my dad survived longer than most. He had two years. And that was one of the things that we really appreciated was how progressive the pain management was because he at least yeah. had to enjoy his, his time in his final days and took my mom to Europe. And even in his final days, he got to be at home, uh, surrounded by family for the past last three months, even though he had almost 24 hour care, but that pain management piece, you know, if you wonder, you know, who did it help? Well, I can say it helped our family because it, it was an awful thing that he had to go through, but at least he had the advantage of that kind of care. So, you know, thanks. Yeah. For that. That, you know, that's, uh, I guess that's, you know, the silver lining uh, that you can find that. Uh, and, and in those days you can imagine how afraid physicians were to even touch something like morphine or prescribe it or how do I do that? You know? So there was a huge need for education and that's where our industry is so good at stepping in and providing the, you know, the kind of CHE, uh, the CHE platforms that we, build and so those were the early days of doing those things and getting speakers in front of people um you know not a lot of that had happened prior to that so it was really uh it was really moving very fast it was dynamic and it was there was such an appreciation of on this on the other side of people who were learning these concepts and trying them with patients um that you know I could see very quickly, wow, there, there's some real value that we deliver here. And that that is something I want to be connected to. So what I thought would be a couple of years in pharmaceuticals has so far turned out to 34. <laughs> and, and knowing <laughs> we, Ross Glover, would not have stayed if there weren't challenges and opportunities. Because, I mean, again, that's just been the theme. But you, you know, your great run, that's been the ingredient that I, I've seen even in the last 20 years that I've known you has just run right through your whole career is you've found those opportunities. You've been. Well, you know, it, it was a different time. I don't know if it could happen the same way now. I often think about that. You know, the also the other thing that really worked for a lot of us in the 90s was that whole M&A atmosphere in our industry i mean we still see that we still see lots of mergers and acquisitions and things but they don't happen the same way in the 90s companies didn't know how to do it so everyone would come together from both sides and then uh would kind of figure out what the new company should be what should it look like and all i saw and though every time that happened and between 1992 to 2004 six it happened 10 times you know so like where there's just so every time i would see well there's opportunity here you know all the jobs have emptied out again and they don't know who's going where so that's opportunity you know so yep. keep your head up keep working keep you know bring ideas to the table uh you know let people know what you're interested in don't be quiet in those times and i'm definitely not one who's quiet you know so um for for myself and for other people uh you know uh, my colleagues in the industry that i know of uh in those years we were able to do a lot of things and to take new jobs and so you know you talk about uh, about how i like change and it's cuz every two or three years your job change your responsibilities change your your therapeutic area changed or you know things just change so you had to 
to you you inherit maybe a new team of people in a new in a different disease and they know more about it than you might know about it so you know you you learn how to become a leader in those situations and how to help everyone around you to cope with the fact that yeah this is all changing around us but we're good this is good you know we're yeah. this we're going to go forward so let's let's start now so i, I, I really I was yeah. encouraged that a young man had reached out to me, one of my son's friends, and he had just completed an MBA. And I asked him about the experience on campus. And I was curious as to what they were teaching. And he said, well, my first day on campus was very interesting. I was in a very intensive one-year analytics program. And my son had taken a similar program. So I said, oh, yeah, what was your experience? Like he said, well, day one, the prof on the first class, first day wrote one word on the, the board, change. And he just stayed quiet for about five minutes. We're all wondering, when's the class going to start? And he just waited for us to sort of realize, hmm, he wrote that word there for a reason. And then someone finally put their hand up and said, why did you write change on the board, professor? And then he had a chance to start his lecture. And he said, because if you guys can't handle change, you should leave now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my job is to get you ready. And and he talked yeah. a lot about courage and opportunity and mindset as much as he talked about the tools of analytics, which was his the yes. of the, you know, the content. But he had a really. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I do speak with a group of uh, MBA students um, with Mc, at McMaster. I get a chance um, to, pre- to present to them every year. And my job is exactly that is to say, OK. You brilliant kids here, you've created a great plan, haven't you? You've got that plan in front of you and you're ready for it, right? You're ready to enact that plan. Well, before you get to page two, it's going to change. And I give them an example of, you know, here's how we set out plans for brands and here's where we go with them. And here's what happens, you know, (laughs) because you're never, by the time you, that, brand even gets to market the plan has changed more than once and and the you know you're you have to be able to adapt with that because you're going to learn a lot and you're going to learn things that nobody knows that despite all the experience and despite you know uh all everything you put into building that plan nobody can tell you exactly how it's going to go so uh you know uh that's a great discussion and uh, they ask a lot of questions because i think it's been they've learned like like this group you're talking about that change is going to be part of your job it's going to be a big part of it and how you adapt to change defines how you can you know be successful yeah and that fearlessness that defines your approach to things ross that that upbringing um taught you and kind of gave you the encouragement you know, I don't know about you, but I see a bit of a gap there in my travels with the next gen that's joining the workforce. Now, they don't seem, I don't know if it was the COVID period that did this so much as maybe some other extenuating circumstances, but it's noticeable to me that they don't have the same encouragements that maybe we were fortunate to have as we went through the industry and had mentors and different folks. And I've said this to even my own boys, the best thing that can happen to them is to have a tough but fair boss. You know, I had three or four of them that, yes, yes, that really yes. pushed me, you know, that yeah. they were encouraging. That was the theme that ran through their very diverse styles. But the one thing I think my best bosses had more than they had any other quality was they were encouraging. They were yes. they were challenging. I mean, a couple of them were very difficult to work for, but <laughs> they were doing it because it was like, like you would hope your your parents would be like this and 
you, you, you know, I guess it often falls on dads. You and I are now dads of, you know, young men. And it is a big part of our responsibility in raising boys. In this day and age, you know, the word encouragement is is lacking. I think there's just not enough of that um, support. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think you're right. But, you know, we have some younger folks in our company, and it doesn't take long for, for them to find that, you know, that drive. And once I see that happening, that's where I step in and say, okay, let's, you know, define to me what you're doing and why would you do that? And I, I'm not, uh, what I want them to do is, you know, and they can feel from me that I'm with you, but you've got to explain this to me and you've got to show me uh, how you feel that you can uh, maintain control of this and not just control, but you know, you can bring it to the next level. That's something I talk about a lot at Taiho is, you know, now we have to, this is the way it's done, right? That's how it's done in the industry. So how do we take that and bring it to another level to where yeah. we're doing the same kind of, uh, you know, purposeful um, actions like getting things uh, approved through Health Canada, getting them into the market, getting your pricing set straight, um, you know, making sure your physicians understand what you, how you see this, this uh, brand, how it helps patients. And yeah, we all do that. But how can we do that where we stand out? What is it that will make this different? Is a, a you know, we hear things now about uh, relationship marketing, about, you know, um, digital marketing, about AI, uh, you know, are those the things that are going to make us different? Or is it who we are and how, you know, how we belay that feeling of trust, how we belay that feeling of confidence that we know what we're doing? What is it? that will make us stand out and they i find that the younger people buy into that as oh, yeah. much if not more than anyone else because they're like well I, i'm going to show you guys what the <laughs> new world does you know what we do and uh you know um i think that's uh, something i've been pleased to see but uh, yeah with my boys at home you know uh with them I've always uh, segmented things, you know, like to say you only have to be good right now at this one thing. You know, this is what you need to focus on. If you're good at that, that brings you to the next step and then you're there and then you can focus on that. And and as you go and eventually it opens up in front of you where you can you can do more. But right now the focus is, OK, uh, for, for my boys, they're in their first job. Uh, you know, they've both two of them have graduated university and they're in their first career job. I have another young son who's in uh, flight school still. So with him, there's other things to focus on. Um, but with my boys who are starting work, it's like now your first two years, how are you uh, going to make an impact of who you are in the workforce? You do that in your first two years. So what are the things in your company that will help you to stand out is about being more certified, getting more certification? Is it about speaking up? Um, is it about um, developing new ideas? Or is it about bringing something new to your company? What is it? Put some time and thought into that. And that's more important than saying, you know, I want to run this company. Everyone can say that. But, you know, put some thought into what you would do to make the company better. And then you'll start to get more, um, you know, recognition or more uh, responsibility to do what you want to do. I, I love that. So beautiful. And I share your segmentation. Yeah. But I share your <laughs> approach there and your opinion, Ross, that 
what makes me very optimistic and encouraged about the next wave of talent that's coming in to the industry, particularly the life science industry that you and I grew up in is I was just with a group yesterday in Oakville that's on the uh, logistics and supply and patient service side of our, our industry. And there was a young guy in the room, Mike, who, you know, he took a while to lean into the conversation because he could defer to the more experienced people in the room a little bit, but he had a really brilliant way of seeing the complexity a bit, distilling it down to what he thought were the variables that mattered the most. Like it was just brilliant the way he took what he heard already in the first half hour of the meeting. And then he sort of spit this out in a very articulate way, in a soft-spoken way. And yet the room just stopped and we all looked at him and went, wow, that's kind of it, isn't it? Like it just hit all of us like a, like a little thunderbolt. And Way to go, Mike. <laughs> well, and I was so, Im- not only I was impressed with his, ability to cut through all the clutter, but the manner in which he spoke really underlined that all this guy needed was just a little encouragement. And then to his boss's credit, Chris really kind of leaned in and said, Mike, can you go a little further with that? Like, I don't want us to just stop there. That You're onto something there. Go, go with that idea. And he gave him the floor. And boy, it was just fun to watch because it just, it just kind of blossomed right in front of us. And then Everybody rallied around that idea, started adding on to it. It changed the trajectory of the conversation because we were we were all struggling with a very complex issue. The team was working through a very complex issue, but that really was a, a momentum turner. And I thought to myself, that's that's what it's kind of what you're describing now, right? With a little bit of that encouragement to go for it. And where can you add value right now in this moment where the company's got a challenge in front of them? You don't have to defer to the people in the room that maybe have more years. You're here for a reason. And as soon yeah. as he felt that coming from the rest of the group, it was just kind of cool to watch that come to fruition. So, yeah, there's a there's a tremendous amount of talent that's coming into the workforce. I just think that it's been my observation that they are they haven't had the kind of rich mentorship that maybe we enjoyed in our career earlier. But when they get it, man, I yeah. tell you, they can go to levels we can't even imagine. Like it just, on the one hand, it surprises yeah. me they didn't get more of it coming through. And again, maybe it's a generational thing and a COVID thing. But boy, it yeah. But to really say that, you know, the that they haven't had the mentorship, and that when I when I feel that, it's like, well, you know, that's what Mike Cluche did for us, right? That's what, or guys like Ronnie Miller, you know, that's what they provided for their employees. So. That's that's my job now. I've got to do that. So I step in and try to help them, you know, and try to to get see what I can feel from them. And and uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not saying I step in and say, okay, I will be your mentor because that's not how it works. <laughs> no, but, but you a- know, I I encourage them to say, you know, find a mentor. There's there's lots of us here, you know, uh, uh, lots of people who can work with you. And if there's someone you like working with, ask them to do more for you. You know. We're here to help. We're here to teach you the things that you might want to learn. And and we're also here to show you a little bit of how this industry works. And then you can fill in the blanks, you know. So so uh that's really how we how uh we put it out there. And and um um uh, you know I don't know if we're unique as a company, but we definitely have a lot of internal discussion and a lot of feedback of at all ranks in our company. And it, and, you know, uh, 
I'm I'm as uh, inspired by something I can hear from uh, Rob Brown out in Atlantic Canada as much as I am inspired uh, listening to a speaker at a at a, a pharma conference, uh, another GM who's putting out uh, some ideas. You know, you can pick up inspiration from everywhere. Yeah, I'll give you that. So, listen, my last question for our guests is always trying to be open to something that might have just popped into your head as we were talking or things that you were thinking about lately. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we could spend a little time on before we, we call it a day? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy with how we're collaborating as an industry. Um, and I'm, what I would say is I, I encourage people to, to uh, continue to network as an industry. You know, we've managed to drive some change uh, in a positive uh, aspect for pharmaceuticals by working with groups like PMPRB and, and with, um, you know, Biotech Canada, who's been leading some of the, some of the think tanks on that and developing, you know, uh, some good quality responses to what the government is attempting to do. And, and, you know, their intentions are, are, are often pure where they just want to help to bring better access to Canadians uh, for all kinds of uh, all types of treatments, but they don't necessarily always know how to do it. And luckily, they're open to our feedback on how you know things can expand and how we can improve access. So, I would in, one thing I would say is I encourage everybody to network around that and share ideas. And uh, um, another thing is that you know I think that we're stronger at, together as an industry than any one company can do on their own. So, um, you know, to work across platforms, to think about how you can collaborate even with some of your competitors to make things better for patients. You know, uh, one experience I had that was positive is working in epilepsy. Um, you know, a lot of the companies together in epilepsy, we would do things just to, to help to advance treatment in general, just to help patient associations to, to survive because they weren't getting the kind of money that patient associations in cancer, diabetes, MS, they're not getting that kind of money. And it's not just money they needed. They needed help from us. So, you know, we banded together as several different competitive companies just to make things better for uh, for epilepsy. And in the end, that will benefit all of us, you know. So think of things like that, that we're often here for the greater good and not just, uh, you know, for our own uh, strategies and goals. And, you know, Ross, people who have taken that mindset and that approach will often tell guys like you and me that when you ask them for a highlight from their year, that's the stuff that they find themselves talking about. Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. great that they had a great year and they met their goals, but they'll often talk about, I'm so glad I joined the, the association that went for, like I have someone right now who's working on trying to do a better job of match mapping the patient experience in type one diabetes. And the fulfillment factor that she's getting from raising the perspectives of the community, her company, the providers, even the reimbursement folks to look, we could do a better job here. Here's what is coming. Here's what the research is showing us. These are things we can lean into and solve together. I think yeah. the progress that she makes there, and I've got another young woman in Montreal who was part of our podcast series who has a real soft spot for indigenous healthcare. And she came from a visible minority community and was raised in a small town where she had a lot of racism. 
And so she really has a mm. tremendous, I would say, affinity and a, 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 an empathy and is leaning in there. And when I asked her, you know, tell me what you're most proud of, was it was really none of the things on the docket when it came to her goals for the year. It was the little project she got to lean into and lead that she was most excited to talk about. So yeah. I couldn't agree with you. you. Know, you're going to remember when you retire that letter that you may have received from a patient more than you're going to remember all the years of, you know, your 125% success uh, against your PL or against your budget. You know, you're yeah. going to remember those tangible things like we were talking about at the beginning, you know, that uh, we make a difference in this industry and, and that difference is palpable. You know, you're going to remember it from, from the small things you've heard from patients or from physicians who tell you how much you helped, uh, you know, in a certain situation. Uh, that's what you're going to remember more than the, than the, uh, than the big successes, uh, the way we define success, you know? So, so uh, I, I, I encourage that always is to get involved outside of our day-to-day -day work and see what else you can do for this industry. It will pay you back. Well, I appreciate your time, Ross. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I know we'll see each other again soon in our travels. Yeah. I know at least I'll likely to be bumping into an airport, going to some wild and crazy destination, and you'll be telling me some stories, but I always <laughs> love them. So thanks for sharing a little bit of your gifts with us here this afternoon, and we look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, Rob. It's been a pleasure. And uh, as always, and uh, take good care. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.